Welcome to Scope It Out. In this edition, guest host Dr. Mark Dubin talks with Dr. Alex Riley and Dr. Edward McCool about their recent article, What Do We Mean When We Have a Sinus Infection? Welcome to this edition of Scope It Out, the official podcast of the International Forum of Allergy and Rhinology. I'm your host for this episode, Dr. Mark Dubin from Baltimore, Maryland. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Alex Riley from Walter Reed National Military Medical Center in Maryland and Dr. Edward McCool from Oxner Clinic Foundation in New Orleans. We'll be discussing their recently published IFAR article, What Do We Mean When We Have a Sinus Infection? Welcome, gentlemen, and congratulations to you and your co-authors on this paper. Obviously, we all know, as do most people listening, that those that carry the diagnosis of a sinus infection utilize an inordinate amount of healthcare resources. Acknowledging the references in your paper from 2012 and 1995, respectively, it is commonly cited that there are over $11 billion spent on this disease entity and is one of the most common reasons cited for prescription antibiotic usage. So I wanted to start by telling you guys why I chose this article and why I was interested. I'm a rhinologist, but I practice in a general laryngology practice, so I do do general ENT as well. But in order to allow for my tertiary referrals, I block out patient sinus patient slots. About three years ago, for about six to eight weeks, I realized retrospectively that I was only seeing patients with postnasal drainage. I did not see one patient who actually had sinus disease. And when I did my diligence in my office... I realized and was told that one of my actual veteran phone staff had decided unilaterally without any any decision making from above, obviously, that post-nasal drainage was a sinus infection. With that, the title of your article rung a nice note for me. And it's it's a very interesting topic that I think that particularly for those of us who see the full range of otolaryngology, you know, are very interested in. So with that as my background, I'd like to start by asking what interested you guys in this specific topic? This is Ed McCool. I've always had a, an interest in, in language and linguistics. And, you know, this is something that goes back to college and maybe before that. And so that's part of the humanistic side of medicine that kind of appealed to me, like having conversations. And and just like you've described, Mark, it didn't take too long or too many years in practice to realize that a lot of times what we're talking about as educated or I guess say clinicians is a lot different from what the lay people are talking about. I started to see these patterns and my, my practice isn't as uniquely drippy uh, as yours maybe, but there were certainly these categories of patients would come in, but they would, they would almost stereotypically be describing such and such of a symptom such as dizziness as a sinus problem and or or drip as a sinus problem or even people talk about their nosebleeds it's a it's a sinus bleed transpose the word sinus instead of the word nose and so um, a few years ago we started looking at this for some other for another question a uh, term of congestion it was kind of a similar paper as different study group was single site but you know we found there were a lot of differences in the word congestion of, of the way people interpreted that and so that kind of led to some discussions with like-minded colleagues at different institutions, including Dr. Riley here. And, and um, I think you'll see that the things we found had, um, had a lot of commonality. My next question, you start off the paper, and I think it's key to understanding this, that ENT patients and particularly rhinology patients have a quote-unquote high health literacy. Explain that to me and 
what that means in really small words so that a simple private practice rhinologist like myself can understand them. Sure. So this is in reference to a couple of papers that I've done since finishing training where we used the brief health literacy screening questionnaire for consecutive patients coming through a general ENT clinic, as well as my rhinology specific clinic. And just so the listeners are aware, this is a three question questionnaire score one to five Likert scale. And one of the questions is how confident are you filling out medical forms by yourself? How often do you have someone help you read the hospital materials? And how often do you have problems learning about your medical conditions because of a difficulty understanding written information? And if you get a score of nine or less, then you are deemed to have poor or inadequate health literacy. The two papers that we've done looking using this questionnaire, we found that 95% of the patients presenting to a rhinology clinic, my rhinology clinic, had a score of 10 or higher. We did find that those patients who did who had poor health literacy had elevated SNOT scores and elevated uh, sleep and psychosocial scores uh, on the SNOT subdomains. And this was recently also looked at by the group at UNC, and they used the same questionnaire and found that there was poor health literacy with patients with uh, worse senonasal disease-specific quality of life. And so why is this important? Uh, our patients have complex disease processes that impact an array of organ systems. The treatment modalities for patients with sinus problems are complex. And I always wonder when I talk with patients, how much are they truly understanding and comprehending and retaining what I say to them? With that kind of understanding, what are they, what are they even talking about when they're talking about having a sinus infection? I think it ties in very nicely with the idea of health literacy. So it's interesting that the find we'll get into the findings, but what you guys found is it is in a population that at baseline starts higher, despite the the findings of of this paper. So with that as a segue, whoever wants to jump in, summarize just again not in minutia but in broad terms what you guys did and you know the overall findings uh, of this paper. Sure. So I, I can start, Ned. If you want to jump in, please by all means. So we came up with a list of 28 total symptoms uh, for the question, what is a sinus infection? And uh, we have randomized these into a grid, a four by seven grid. Um, and then we enlisted five, six different sites. And I would be remiss if I didn't thank our co-authors, Nadim at Einstein, John uh, Schneider at uh, WashU, uh, Walid and, and Ian Humphreys at UW and Jivian at UCLA. And we enlisted these different sites to come to a final agreement on what the questionnaire should be, and then distributed those to all patients across the diff six different sites. And with those symptoms, um, we then categorized them into different subdomains. And so we had six total subdomains, mucus, pressure, pain, airflow, ear symptoms, throat symptoms, and systemic symptoms. And so a total of 560 patients completed the survey and 30 ENTs. And then basically we looked at percent differences between patients and ENTs and then uh, percent differences between specific regions and ENTs. And we found that clinicians more commonly selected pressure, pain, mucus, and airflow domains, while patients more commonly selected ear and throat domains. You know, not for nothing, dizziness is one of the symptoms uh, that was on our, on our grid. And, you know, not surprisingly, like 0% of, of clinicians thought that that was a, a you know relevant symptom, but 20% of patients responding thought that dizzy was a symptom of sinus infection. I mean, I think that alone is worth exploring maybe with some future study, but there were definitely differences 
Uh, I think we are starting to say there are definitely differences and some of the key uh, categories between what this, the, the patients would describe and what and what the clinicians would describe. In private practice, I mean, to, to get onto one of my sinus slots, you basically just need to use the word sinus in one form or another, sinus or nose, right? So it's always, a, you know, a roulette wheel of what they're actually going to have. And, you know, when you when I look at their chief complaint, when they actually show up in the office, it's a constellation of anything that you guys wrote on your questionnaire, which is, again, why I've, I found the, the article fascinating. So is there anything that you guys found surprising in this? There were a couple of things that we were surprised by. The first thing, you know, I thought that there would be geographic differences. We had the Northeast, we had uh, the Mid-Atlantic, Southeast, Midwest, Pacific Northwest, and the, the West Coast. And even with the various geographic regions, there was pretty consistent responses amongst the patients across all the regions. So I was somewhat surprised by that. And then not that this necessarily was a surprise, but it was something that was nicely confirmed, I thought. Patients attribute ear and throat symptoms to a sinus infection much more often than a clinician. And so my takeaway from this was really, you know, ENTs have a pretty narrow definition of what a sinus infection is compared to patients. So I mentioned how it affects my practice, this whole um, this whole definition. How, how does it affect your guys in any way, shape, or form? It's reinforced, and I, I told you, I already had this idea of this, this appreciation of how disparate the meanings of language can be, um, and it's not anything, I mean, that's not a secret, but this reinforced the importance of coming to some sort of common terms, and I think early on in the discussion, and that's really important because, you know, we walk in the room and it's, and they're talking about sinus this and sinus that, and then after 10 minutes, you realize they're talking about their ear is clogged. Well, it's not really a sinus problem, but you, so you've not only you've spent a lot of time, but they've invested and you've invested a lot of sort of diagnostic and intellectual energy into focusing on some symptom that's actually been uh, misdescribed from the beginning. So it, it's forced me to create a sort of a system or where I, as we're going along through the narrative early on, taking a, a polite pause and, and asking to clarify, just kind of like we are taught to do during our our OSCE exams in medical school, stop, clarify, and if there's any, and and say, you know, there's this term you used by sinus, what, can you describe more what you mean by a sinus infection? And just make sure not to let that get, uh, get swept along with the narrative without defining it first. Another question is, is you know, given... There's a whole shift towards increased use of APPs, and I'm sure you guys see it as well. Most patients have been to an urgent care, or you know, at least once prior to you know seeing anyone in the ENT field. How do you think that this trickles down to those who, I would say, have a less less sophisticated knowledge of sinus and sinus disease? I mean, obviously, this is a patient survey, and it, you know, we're on either ends of the spectrum. You're on patients, and you're at ENTs, you know, where do you think this fits for the, you know, the common provider of more generalized care? Yeah, I, I suspect that there is varied interpretation of of a diagnosis of a sinus infection and what the different symptoms that that go into it, um, and I'm sure that impacts diagnosis and treatment plans. Specifically with APPs, in in theory, they're trained by us, right? And so their understanding of what a sinus infection is, hopefully, is modeled after 
people who know what a sinus, you know, have, have an idea of what the symptoms of a sinus infection are. Um, but it's a great question. I always wonder what people do, what ENTs do when they get a referral from an urgent care, primary care provider for patients with, you know, quote, multiple sinus infections. And, you know, routinely, I feel like I acknowledge it, but then also, you know, come to try to come to my own conclusions. Do they have a, have they had recurrent sinus infections or not? Yeah, it's hard. And it's almost as, you know, it's similar now to the criteria for PE2 place with witnessing fluid. Now it's, it's, you know, it certainly is a challenge. And I think it depends on APP's exposure to ENT, right? Especially in an urgent care center, it's a variable exposure to true sinusitis as opposed to headache and all the other things that are on on your list. I totally agree with Alex's point. In my practice, my APPs are all all trained by me. They didn't go to ENT residency. They may have you know, read a book or taken a the one day course, but where they're going to practice what they see us model. And that's not just the treatments we give. That's also the way we talk to patients. And so I think once again, establishing things early on, if you're bringing an APP into your practice, that's the time like right away is to, to watch them, see how you develop a line of questioning. And this is, a, I think, a prime example of where questioning and really drilling down into what people are saying can can make a world of difference into how things go with diagnosis and treatment. You also mentioned in the article that, you know, industry, um, and in my opinion, a lot of the advertisements for over-the-counter medications, you know, the sinus headache types of medications results in a fair bit of miseducation. I think a lot of people get a lot of their information from obviously both the internet and whatever commercials they're seeing. Is there anything we can do better as professional societies or physicians, you know, to counterbalance or re-educate patients so they're we're more aligned in our communication? I can comment on that. I guess uh, you know, published a bit about it, and this this idea of over-the-counter medicines, it's like twenty percent of the over-the-counter drug market is sinus and nasal and allergy remedies, and it's anyone's guess what that all means. But there's endless variations on on combinations of a few specific uh, medicines, decongestants and expectorants and and antihistamines mostly. People don't have a clue about this, partly because they're all lumped together. When you go to the shelf uh, at Walgreens or Target or whatever, it says sinus slash nasal slash allergy slash cold, as though all those things were somehow one and the same. So it's no wonder that people come to us and their idea that the sinus is just this all-encompassing term for anything that goes on inside the head that you can't see. And so I think it it is a service that we as ENTs, certainly starting with us, can provide to our patients to give them just like a brief little education. Like, by the way, when you get a cold and you get something like this, here's a short list of things you can look for. You, you can go, you can get some saline, you can get some uh, nasal corticosteroids, we can use second generation antihistamine if you think is allergies with pyritic symptoms. Oh, just some very brief education. And I think that sort of thing has never really been discussed. To take it a few steps further, I think that sort of counseling may have a, a role in, at the primary care setting. You know, as part of your, your annual checkup, I mean, what? just imagine I'm in a world where a well visit, you go in and they're like, okay, have you had, you know, have you had your A1C and, uh, you know, have you had your whatever routine maintenance exam is? And by the way, 
do you ever get colds or sinuses or allergy problems? And if so, oh, what do you take? Okay, well, here's just so you know, there are some things that are good to take and some things that are not good to take. And here's how to tell the difference. Now, you, you could go in depth if you wanted, but I think just a brief, honestly, a 30 or 60 second counseling session could save a lot of health visits, a lot of urgent care visits, a lot of money at the pharmacy that isn't even covered by insurance. That's just my two cents. It's interesting in the setting of COVID, with everybody being aware of viral illnesses, it actually is a unique time to educate people. Because I'm sure you guys also had the experience that, you know, the phone message, hey, I, I got COVID. I just was diagnosed with COVID three days ago. I can't breathe through my nose. I'm stuffy and I have drainage. I need an antibiotic. I have a sinus infection. It's actually, no, you, you have COVID, which is a viral thing. And you know, again, spending the time and talking to those people goes a long way. In addition to explaining that sinus headache isn't actually a real thing, it's something that's created by whoever made the first sinus headache medication, our lives would be a lot simpler if they used a different term. That that person is a genius, but they're on our most wanted list. For, yeah, correct. For sure. yeah. Correct. I'll just piggyback a little bit on it's a life you know it's a lifelong crusade i think to educate and inform these patients and we have to you know battle miseducation and it's really hard to do and it requires persistence and stick-to-itiveness and uh, it's a largely thankless job too um uh, but that's you know that's why we that's why we study this kind of stuff and that's why we you know go to meetings and, and are thinking about this constantly to try to help patients feel better uh, because if we don't properly communicate with patients on this then uh, it's going to be much harder to achieve that goal it's true. It's a little, it's, it's a lot easier to just throw a Z-pack at somebody, you know, in the setting of a busy day. Again, what I found interesting and great about this is it is about the educate. It's much better to educate so that everyone's on, on the same wavelength. We, you know, we all spend a lot of time doing it. Any other last minute remarks, Alex, Ed? Just one last time. Thank our co-authors, Nadim, Jivian, John, Waleed, Ian, and the rest of the team. You know, we couldn't have done this paper without the team effort and all their help. Yeah, it's really fun to collaborate with people East Coast, West Coast, and in between, especially on something that's you know, such a common experience, right? It's such a, 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 I mean, when this is in, this phenomenon uh, is instantly recognizable to people um, all over the land and, and I'd, I'd imagine all over the world. Uh, so uh, I really appreciate the chance to, to talk about it and, and, uh, and highlight it. Thanks for joining me, guys. It's been a great discussion. I will throw in one plug for the American Academy of Otolaryngology Sinus Health Awareness Day and the sinushealth.com page for the American Rhinologic Society who are attempting to address uh, topics such as these. And again, congratulations to you and your colleagues on your publication. And thank you, of course, to our Scope It Out listeners. This is Mark Dubin for Scope It Out, the official podcast of the International Forum of Allergy and Rhinology. Signing off for now. Thanks for listening. Scope It Out is a co-production of the International Forum of Allergy and Rhinology and Wiley. All opinions in this podcast are those of podcast hosts and guests and do not necessarily reflect those of Wiley or the sponsors.